we spend a lot of time on it, the content, and I encourage people to spend more time on us, how we will work together because of the content that was shared. So if we don't transition from the it to the us, a lot of this will be in one ear out the other. So that's a really, really important component of our offsets. Welcome to Want to Work There, a podcast that explores what really makes a company a great place to work. I'm your host, Jill Felska, and together we'll explore not only what goes into building a great company culture, but also exactly how to implement those best practices within your own workplace. If you're here, you believe that a better world of work is possible, and I can't wait to build it together. Let's go. Hello, and welcome back to the Want to Work There podcast. Now, if you are a regular listener, you have heard me say probably no less than a dozen times, that is a topic for a whole nother episode. I feel like I say that at least once when I'm talking with a guest or pontificating on something. And so this episode is actually a follow-up to a time in which I said that should be its own episode. So I'm super excited. We are going to talk about offsites and gathering and specifically how when you are in a head of people role and are planning offsites sort of in this new world of work, what that can look like and what you should be thinking about because oftentimes it is not something that's always been part of the job description and it is now. So of course, I do not feel like I am the expert on this topic. And so I reached out to my network. One person in particular, Lindsay Kaplan, was top of mind because this is literally what she does every day, all the time for different teams. And so I am super excited that she has agreed to be here with us today. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks, Jill. So happy to be here with you. So Lindsay, we met a while back and you have always been deep into the aspects of learning and development on the HR side of organizations. But when we reconnected recently, I was super thrilled to learn that you have started your own consultancy practice. It's called The Gathering Effect. And you literally work with teams to design communication and employee experience basically helping organizations create or sort of recreate their gatherings. And that includes offsites, which is what I'm so excited to talk about today. So welcome. Thank you. And that is the most perfect pitch and explanation for what I do. I appreciate that. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I love nerding out about this topic and helping people with offsites in particular because it's such a common tool in our toolkit and we can learn how to use it more effectively. This is for sure. And nerding out is all we do on this podcast. So I'm (laughs) grateful that you're here to do it with me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Oh, good. So, all right. Let's start at the beginning. The term offsite is definitely thrown around often. In your opinion, what's your definition of an offsite? Well, let's just say it's changed a little bit, right? Because for a lot of us, we don't go into an office anymore. So it may be an onsite. Right? Maybe an offsite is now an onsite. But what it really means is bringing a group of people together to match a message with a moment to create an effect. That's how I define gathering as a whole, but an offsite is a form of gathering. So we can just go with that definition. What does that really mean? It's a chance to do a concentrated amount of work and go deep on something with either a team 
a cross-functional team or sometimes an entire organization. And there's lots of reasons why we pull people together, but that's one of the ways that I think about an on-site slash off-site. That's incredible. Will you give that definition one more time? Yes. I think the gathering definition is what you're asking for. And I define it as bringing people together to match a message with a moment. So there's some piece of content that we want to share in the hopes that it creates or sparks a change in people, creates a specific kind of effect. And so that's a skill that we need to learn in order to really make sure that effect happens. I love that definition. That is uh, so good. Okay. Amazing. So you sort of started to speak to this, but whether you call it an offsite, an onsite, why are they important? Why should people be planning them in the first place? So why are offsites important? I think, again, what we'll talk about today, a little bit of a broken record, COVID has changed the game here a little bit. There are For many of us, a lot fewer chances for entire teams or companies to come together and connect in real life. So they serve somewhat of a different purpose than maybe they used to when we would just book a conference room and sort of put people in there for a day, which is a lot harder to do. So why are they important? The quickest way to explain it is they are our culture on display for many of our organizations, and they are higher stakes as well because we don't get together as frequently. So The question, why should people use them? I think it's time that we are much more judicious about why we're doing them and be much more clear about the purpose that we want them to serve so that we're not just sort of reaching for this tool because we know that it's in our toolkit. Yeah, I think what you hit on there is so crucial. And we've all, I think, many of us at least, have experienced an offsite where we come together and it's just the updates that we could have heard via a Zoom call. (laughs) And we all kind of leave going, why did we travel here? I think what you touched on, you know, really succinctly and beautifully is that especially post-COVID, people are working differently. They're thinking about meeting differently. And it's sort of changed how important these are. They've always been important, but there is an even deeper importance to them than ever has existed. And so I think that is where I'm seeing HR professionals try and think more critically about what that content should be and and what that should look like, which is why you're here today. So these changes that we're seeing when it comes to offsites, what do you think are the biggest ones we're seeing since the pandemic? Sort of what's changed and what's stayed the same? So obviously we know, or not obviously, for many of us, these are higher stakes now. An increase in offsites means it's really important that we learn how to design and lead ones that aren't just there for fun, but can directly affect behavior and the employee experience. So we need to teach people a new skill. For many leaders, this is something they've never had to do before. But if you only get your team together once or twice a year, they now have to learn how to do this really effectively. That's something that's changed. Another thing that's changed is perhaps a lot of organizations are using these offsites as a reward. Meaning we'll pull the whole company together once a year and we'll fly them to Mexico and that will be their reward and that will be super fun. And that's a specific purpose for an offsite, but I think that's another way that they've sort of changed in this new world of work. And then I think, again, because we don't do them as frequently anymore and because they are higher stakes, what I tend to see is one of two <laughs> sort of styles of offsite. One is casual, like let's throw people in a room and have a DJ and we'll have some fun and we'll go to Mexico and we'll give them great food. And then the other is the kitchen sink 
let's just try to accomplish everything we possibly can, alignment and trust, communication and collaboration in one offsite because we really need to get the most bang for our buck. So I think we're trying to attack this challenge in a bunch of different ways. And I would argue that we should sort of take a step back and think about how to do them a bit more strategically. So a lot of thoughts there. Thank you for pointing out, though, that this is a new skill that people are learning and that it's one that really, I believe, we need to be investing in for people because it's a really expensive meeting, (laughs) whether you are going to Mexico for fun or you're all in a conference room and trying to do everything in the kitchen sink. Like, it's an expensive meeting. So we should be investing in helping people do these well. That is for sure. There's actually a calculator on my website. If you are curious in calculating the cost of your offsite or your gathering and attendee time, be prepared for maybe a scary number, but that might be a helpful metric for folks to take a look at. I love that. I did not even know that. We will link to that in the show notes for sure. So, okay. So we know that these gatherings are important. We know that there are a lot of people who are potentially putting them together for the very first time in their career. When it comes to holding one successfully, where the heck should someone start their planning? Yeah. So it may be counterintuitive, but I would encourage people to start with the end. So fast forward a week, a month after the end of your offsite and ask yourself what will be different? How will we know that we've succeeded? So no, another way to say that is really begin with the objectives, the reason why you're doing this and what you want this tool to achieve. Typically what we start with instead is the content, the slide deck, or hey, do you have a fun activity or let's start just putting the agenda together. And that's really not the first step. The first step is to clarify what we want this tool to do versus just spending all of our time on the tool itself. So what that looks like practically is to get super clear on your outcomes, what we want our desired effect to be. So you can ask yourself a few different questions. You know, what will be different because of our time together? What we need from the people that we're trying to affect? How will we know that we've succeeded? So could you tell a before and after story? Or, you know, what will I see through a camera lens that will tell me that this offsite was successful? These questions don't just give us clarity on sort of what to create, but they also give us clarity on what to measure and how to ensure ROI. So that's really where I encourage people to start is with the very end. While that seems so obvious as you're saying it, I think it's so common for us to start with. What are the decks? What's the activity? Like, so thank you for reframing that for people because I think it is a really effective, simple difference, but it is a huge change in how you're going into something thinking about it. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. Context is super important, not just for us, but for our employees. Yes. They want to know how to put this content into context for them and what will what it'll mean for them in the business. So let's spend some time figuring that out for ourselves. Yes. Well, okay, let's talk about that content piece. I know that it is really easy to try and throw everything but the kitchen sink in because I have been that person trying to fit a lot into a little bit of time. So when you're thinking about content design, how much should you be trying to cover in a successful offsite? Yeah, I love that question. Let's just sort of quickly name a couple of things. This offsite creation skill is really about effectiveness and 
I think we sort of get bogged down in efficiency and thinking that if we just throw as much content in there as possible, that will be super efficient. The challenge with that, if we say, hey, we've got people in a room, let's just give them everything. Let's hear from finance and HR and let's have this guest speaker and this person and we'll just pump as much as we possibly can, which I call stuffing the suitcase, is that from a cognitive level for our employees, we literally and figuratively cannot hold all of that in our brain. So we're going to spend all of that time putting a 100-page slide deck together, but it's going to go really in one ear and out the other because we're not able to really hold and remember and use all of that content. So just be wary of the dangers of stuffing the suitcase. It's not effective. So let's just continue this kitchen sink metaphor and sort of go to like the grocery store analogy or a grocery store analogy. When we go to a grocery store where there's everything that we could possibly buy, and we may be tempted to buy the entire store, but we know that we can't. We know that we have limitations, our budget, our storage space, usability, et cetera. So just We know the temptation is there, but really resist the temptation. So how much content should we use? I mean, I think really the first thing is to make sure that every piece of content or activity ties back obsessively to one of the outcomes that you've named. Ideally, you have two or three outcomes and each piece of content, each workshop, each activity, whatever it might be, clearly ties back to one of those outcomes. And you can name that for employees and describe how it achieves that outcome. So it helps put it in context for people. So that's the first step. So I don't know if there's a golden rule about how much content to share, but the key challenge I see people forgetting is not spending time digesting or debriefing the content. Every time you have a content-heavy section, spend half an hour or 15 minutes pausing, asking employees to talk to each other or think on their own and digest the material, put it in their own words, in their own context, and that will help it be stickier and have more relevance to them. So these breaks and these nudges are really important. They help us consume the content more effectively. Those are a few things to try and consider. That concept of efficient versus effective is a mic drop moment for me because It applies to so many things, I think, within organizations of how much we try and do and be efficient and more, more, more versus what really is effective. So what a great skill to consider and to practice in offsites and then also to continue on in our workday. So thank you for that. I think that is just a really, really powerful way of thinking about it and a good framework for people as they're going in. I'll just sort of say in summary of all of this, we spend a lot of time on it, the content, and I encourage people to spend more time on us, how we will work together because of the content that was shared. So if we don't transition from the it to the us, a lot of this will be in one ear out the other. So that's a really, really important component of our offsites. On that note, I mean, we think about the work that we are doing and and you're talking so much about outcomes, which I think is just a brilliant part to focus on. Oftentimes when we go into these offsites, onsites, we are hoping that there will be some sort of change, some sort of outcome that will continue on into our quote unquote day-to-day work. So what have you learned about ensuring that changes stick? in the real world? Yeah, I think that is always the challenge. How do we make this not a one-off event and how do we carry it forward? 
one of the most important things to do in the offsite is to do what I call landing the plane. You know, if we think about going on an airplane, there are routines that we're super used to. There's a procedure that we follow when we get ready to land, right? You know, like put your seat up and <laughs> put your seatbelt on. And I think we really need to use some of those protocols in our offsites themselves. So a couple ways to do that just to focus on one, the reflection, and two, the application. And we've sort of touched on this already. So offsites don't necessarily lead to learning or change. It's the reflection and the processing that really helps to spur that. And again, if we pump our offsites so full of content, we don't leave space for these sorts of things much harder to do. So practically speaking, at the end of each day, and certainly at the end of the offsite, I would spend half hour, hour, engaging the group and asking and answering some reflection questions. So what are your ahas and takeaways, but much more in the application. So how will we go forward because of what we've learned today? How will we work together because of what we've done or accomplished? And most importantly, honestly, is the question, what could get in the way? We need to spend time naming and understanding what are the barriers and blockers that will keep us from using and putting into action all the things that we did in this concentrated amount of time. So those sorts of questions are key to the first step of making sure that something lives on after we get back to the office or our homes. Again, I just keep saying it's so simple, but it's so missed and so effective. I mean, I think about why we don't change habits that we have personally. So you can like listen to a podcast about eating healthy and you're like, oh my gosh, yes, I'm totally going to do this. And then what you don't take into account is the fact that you are working crazy hours and you have kids and there's commute times and all these things that get in the way of you taking on these new healthy behaviors of meal prepping and et cetera, et cetera. It's exactly what you're speaking to here. We are giving people gems and nuggets of beautiful information that all sounds really good and people can buy into and be inspired by, but how do we make sure that it lives? And what you're saying is we have to talk about at the offsite in that room, what is going to get in the way and how do we troubleshoot around that? Yes. And I will throw in another important reason why gatherings like these and offsites don't stick. And, and a lot of this comes from not just experience helping people create them, but my own experience as an employee who went on a lot of these offsites and sort of experienced them myself. Especially if this is a mandatory offsite that the company is asking me to attend, we are looking to our leaders and those in charge to walk the talk and to go first and making these changes happen. And if we don't have the confidence that we're spending all this time on team alignment and goal sharing. But if we feel like that effort is wasted because leadership doesn't really care or they may not put into practice or this is just sort of a like a reward and a fun trip, we're not going to be as motivated to do anything differently as well. So I think there's two components here, right? There's the ability to do something different, like our capacity, our knowledge, and our skills, which can be helped with reflection and application. But there's also our motivation, our desire to do something differently. So all of this to say, it's not as simple as putting an agenda together and saying, go. There's a really a lot to consider because these are chances to put people in a room and to ask them to do something differently or engage in a new way or try something. And that requires a really, I think, keen awareness of people and what makes them tick and what makes content stick. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but it just did. <laughs> it's better. It's better when it rhymes. I love things that rhyme. 
Being a great manager is hard. Like, really hard. I used to preach that it was every company's duty to provide management training for their entire team. But then I became a director of people and culture for a SaaS startup and realized just what kind of barriers were in the way. Design the training in-house? I could never find the time. Hire a third party to come and teach it? Sure, but then I'd need to re-engage them every time a new manager joined, and I just didn't have the budget for that kind of long-term engagement. In my head, I envisioned the startup version of management training, a self-led, reusable program that consisted of audio lessons, thoughtful exercises, helpful templates, and an internal facilitation plan for cohort-style learning. So I built it. And it quickly became apparent that I wasn't the only person looking for a more cost-effective, scalable solution. If you also fall into that camp and want to learn more, you can visit wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. That's wanttoworkthere.com backslash management training. All right, let's get back to the show. What this is really bringing home for me at the very beginning of the conversation, we were talking about like what makes a successful offsite. And you were saying, you know, start with the outcomes in mind. And you gave some great questions. And one of the things that crossed my mind as you were saying that was not only should you figure that out and ask yourself those questions, but you kind of need to get buy-in from all the leaders that they agree that that's the outcome. And I think that's what you're speaking to right now is leadership also has to buy in and be willing to walk the walk and talk the talk first. So have you found that that is also kind of a component at the beginning is like is really working to get that buy in? Yeah, absolutely. I talk about the difference between push and pull gatherings. You know, push gatherings are ones where, you know, maybe we don't really want to be there, but we feel like it's being done to us. You know, and and pull gatherings are the opposite. We're active, we're co-creating, we have ownership over the experience. You know, ideally we want to be there and it's being done with us. And so it may feel like when we're saying, yeah, go get buy-in, go pre-sell this, that it takes a lot of effort and work. You know, I'd argue it really doesn't. But if you don't do this and you don't sort of hear from people about their needs and challenges and give them a chance to feel heard, the chances of this offsite sticking are going to decrease. So yeah, you want people to be interested and involved with you in this offsite, in this change effort, and you need and want their support, which means you need to go ask for it and pull them in. So yeah, super important step so that if you pull 100 leaders together and the CEO standing there talking with an agenda that only he created and objectives that only he cares about, it's going to take a lot of work to get the leaders in the room to be as energized and excited. And you know, the final thing I'll say here, I see this mistake pretty frequently sort of leaders expecting that people are already bought in because they're in the room, that they're already as excited about the leader's ideas as the leader is. And that's not true necessarily. They have to make it so. So it takes some work to really do that. Well, and talk about when you're talking about people trying to be effective. And I think we just keep bringing this point up again, but agendas are so much of what gets taught. How many many topics can we fit in in the agenda while we're there is I think a common starting point for people. So we're redirecting them. We're giving them different starting points. But it's sounding to me, if you're thinking about the amount of money that you are spending, not only to fly people there, not only to put them up in hotels, not only to do the things, but also the time of everyone being in that room, 
maybe one of the biggest things that you can do as you prepare is to work on getting that buy-in, even though it does take time. Because I'm sitting here going, I have so been to that offsite where they spent all that time and all that money and no one actually believed the thing. And wow, what a waste. So anyway, I'm just, I guess, another plug for doing more work ahead of time, which I think often these things get planned at the last minute, which can be a function of just how crazy things are. But anyway. Yeah. Two thoughts there. And then I'll give some tips on agenda crafting since I think that's maybe a question people have. So we talked about what could get in the way, right? So what could get in the way of this sticking and being effective? Yeah. One of the reasons why is we haven't gotten people's buy-in or ideas or ownership. And that's one reason why it might get in the way. And then two, to your point, we tend to craft these offsite agendas and sort of plans kind of last minute. And I totally understand why that is. But remember that these offsites slash onsites are much higher stakes than they used to be. It takes a lot more effort and planning to get people in the same room. And if you're asking people to fly across the country for a few days or the world and leave their families at home, it needs to be worth it because they will remember this and it will affect motivation and morale in hopefully a really positive way, but also it could perhaps affect it in a negative way. You know, this is a little bit about what's at stake. Agendas. Should I talk about agendas? <laughs> I would love for you to talk about agendas because I know it is on people's minds. Yeah. I don't want to be all doomsday. So let me just share maybe a controversial opinion here. I believe that curating an agenda is one of the last steps of offsite preparation, not the first. Mm. The analogy I use, there's a lot of food analogies here today. It's like the bag that you wrap a sandwich in. Like it's one of the last things that you do. First, you need mm. the bread and the meat and the hunger and maybe the lettuce, whatever. And then you wrap it together at the end. So we want to get a document together. We want to get eyeballs in it. I totally understand why we tend to start with the agenda. But instead, think about one, clarity on your desired outcomes. So creating alignment and trust, that's not enough. <laughs> Those are what I call kind of fat words, meaning that there's just not a lot of clarity there. Like, what does alignment really mean? What does trust really mean? Can you give me an example? Otherwise, employees are not going to know how we're successful in building alignment if we don't really clarify it for people. So for each desired outcome, ideally plan one or more experiences or exercises or discussions that gets at that desired outcome. So what does the group need to do together in order to achieve that outcome? Is it a training class? Is it a discussion? Is it a strategy session? Who knows, right? It might be one of those things, but if we don't clarify what we want people to achieve, then we don't know what activity or content we need. So that's step one. I like to think about crafting a narrative, not just an agenda. So instead of a list of sessions, chunk your offsite into these outcomes and then describe for employees how each step in the offsite leads them there. So it's sort of like listing the steps in a recipe. You know, first we'll add the flour and then we'll add the baking soda and then they'll create this beautiful cake versus just sort of listing a list of ingredients. You want to tell people how it's building to this thing at the end and get people excited to get there. The practicality of it and what you're saying at the beginning of people just want to get words in a doc is so, so real. But I love that you're giving really still measured practical ways to think about it. You're just having them reverse the order in which they're coming up with the process. Yeah, I think that that's a good way to think about it and start with the end. And then everything will get a little bit clearer. You know, my 
my background a long, long time ago. I was a screenwriter. That was one of my first career dreams. And we always started with what happens at the end of the movie or what happens at the end of the television show. Where does the character end up? What's the moral of the story? And then what kind of experiences does this character have to have? Who do they meet? How do they get there that leads them to that ending? You don't start with like the beginning. We'll put two people in a room and then we'll see what happens. No, you have to know where these characters end up in order to craft the screenplay, aka the experience that gets them there at the end. So just another way to probably think about it. I love when people's unique backgrounds help them in new roles or different ways. It just makes me happy because so I love that. And I think that that is a beautiful way to think about it. It also reminds me of vision, uh, personal vision, company vision, like starting with the end in mind. So I'm all here for that. And I think even if that's the only thing people take away from this is to start with the end in mind, it's going to make a huge difference. So I think that's really, really helpful. Wonderful. So I know you've already talked about a couple of mistakes you see people making when it comes to offsites, but what would you say is the most common mistake you see? Yeah, this probably will be no surprise coming from me and what I've discussed already. But I think one of the most common mistakes is to focus on the decorations versus the foundation of the offsite. So we focus a lot on the logistics and what we'll eat and what the venue will be and all of that stuff, which is important, but we don't spend enough time thinking about what happens when these people are in a room together and what we should do and how they should behave and how we can achieve that objective. And the value of the offsites is much more in what's said and done before, during, and after than the logistics. So I love analogies. I'll keep using another one, but you know, a married couple can spend all their time planning a wedding, thinking about what food we'll have and what decorations we'll have and what the DJ will play. But the success of the marriage long-term comes down to their commitment and their trust and how they'll work together. So we don't just want to think about planning a great wedding, but we want to really help the marriage succeed. So that's the biggest mistake that I see is just not focusing on that piece at all and spending our time last minute thinking about the logistics and those other pieces. So What about you, Jill? You've been a part of these and seen a lot too. So I'm really curious what you would say too. Yeah. Well, first of all, as someone who uses a ridiculous amount of dating and marriage analogies in my work (laughs) explaining culture, I feel you on that. It is a really, really good mirror usually. But I think the most common thing that I see, and I don't blame people for this because I have been this person, is that the planning of the actual content and the what happens when you're there happens so incredibly last minute. And it's usually because it is being done by someone who is already overstretched and that the fires that are needing to be put out or the things that feel more important in you know the months and the weeks leading up to the offsite end up taking precedence. And so I think that's the biggest thing that I can stress and keep coming back to for people is this does take work. It is important. It is a learned skill. And there is a case to be made for bringing someone like you in if there isn't the time and the space and the energy and the skill for that to happen. And you didn't ask me to say that. You didn't set me up for that on purpose. (laughs) I really believe it. And I think that there is now more than ever, as we've started to 
really drive home the importance of these gatherings when we are working in a more hybrid remote world. I think people are starting to understand that. They're starting to understand how hard it is to really do these well and that there is value in bringing in someone to help who specializes in this. So for what that's worth, I think if people can understand that, it it will go a long way. Oh, thanks, Jill. And a little bit of, again, just empathy for the situation for folks. You know, yes, we're not used to this skill. Maybe a lot of us haven't learned it before. Also, it's very likely that many of us have not experienced anything different. A lot of us probably haven't experienced a great offsite where we felt like it was a great use of our time and it stuck and it led to significant lasting change. I think maybe we're just perhaps used to a status quo and awareness of how much better it could be is something that may be lacking for some of us as well. So again, we talk about what could get in the way. Let's do that for ourselves in this conversation and just sort of name what may be getting in the way of learning how to do this skill more effectively. Oh, that is so true. If you've not seen it, how would you know that it could be any different? <laughs> it could be done differently or well. So I love that. I guess bonus question that I have. So I, although people are like, that's not true. I am introverted and I can be socially awkward in scenarios where I've not met people. And I am always thinking about and curious about how we can plan for a better experience for those who are introverted or or more socially anxious when we're coming together and gathering in person. Have you learned or found anything to be true around that? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I'll just say I'm an extrovert. And even for me, I think this can be overwhelming to think about all these people together in this room and what do I do and how do I talk and what happens. And many of us are a little out of practice when it comes to these social engagements these days. So, you know, like, let's just name that. The first step is just to be aware of the challenge for folks and to be as inclusive as possible. One way to really support more introverted employees is to give them clarity on the agenda and what's expected of them ahead of time. If you're going to be working through some business challenges or working through some questions or some strategy, give people that information ahead of time to feel like they have the runway to prepare and look as good as possible. You know, for the extroverted folks, probably more comfortable speaking just as they think. And that's not true for everyone. But one additional step that I think we miss sometimes is to spend some time, call it ground rules, call it social contracts, call it norming, whatever we want to call it. We often skip this step at the beginning of the offsites, meaning given our objectives, how are we going to work together over the course of the hour, day, week, whatever it might be in order to achieve these objectives. So what dynamics do we need to agree to? How do we make it safe for people to contribute? How will we work together? How will we establish safety and trust? Again, like airlines, they never skip the safety demonstration when you get on an airplane. This is simply an explanation of the social contract and norms and expectations. We need to do that for our offsites as well. So spend a little time clarifying for folks what would make them more comfortable or how people want to chat or not chat or contribute. And as much as we can, we want to offer people choice. I think those are just a few things to consider there. That word choice. I hope that at some point we get to be in a space where not only are we talking about the social norms and the contracts of like the day of the meetings themselves, but also like 
the expectations on the social aspect of coming together. So is it really expected that you're at that happy hour? Is it really expected that you're at that dinner? Or do we recognize that some of you need time to recharge and that you will be better served spending some time alone in your hotel room reading or watching a show or doing whatever it is you're going to do? I don't think we're there yet for most people, but I would love for us to move into a space where we start to acknowledge that for people and give people some choice. Same goes for people who don't drink. I think sometimes it can be uncomfortable for people to have to feel like happy hours are a mandatory thing when they either don't want to be around alcohol or just don't like being around alcohol. So anyway, I'm on a tangent now, but I think that there is some critical thinking that can still happen around gatherings and and making it not just the event itself, but the social stuff that happens around it. How do we give people the grace? You can't see me, but I'm nodding my head very vigorously as you talk about all of this. And this is why getting some buy-in is important. Asking people, how can we help you feel more comfortable? Or, you know, what do you need? And giving them that space to share. And it's one thing for a leader to say, like, you have permission to not attend the happy hour, but it's another for them to really mean it because these social signals and the visibility, especially if we're not getting together super frequently, there can be a lot of pressure to sort of perform in this way. So it's on us and our leadership team to really, really make it clear uh, about what it means to take care of yourself and just to be more aware. Like if we're taking our team to only bars and you know, loud sports event, whatever it might be, just to think about how can we be more inclusive to different folks who are not like us and don't enjoy the same things that we do and to not plan it for us, but for everybody. Yeah. And it's not easy. I will just acknowledge that when we are coming together and there is value in building relationship and being around people. So I get it. It's not, there's just no one size fits all, but it's it's something I think about a lot as someone who often feels pressure to go to things after hours. I just got back from a conference last week and spent an hour and a half beating myself up one night about like, I should go to this thing tonight. I keep meeting people, but I am spent. So anyway, it's top of mind for me and why I asked. Well, as you're saying that, I think one other practical thing that comes to mind is the importance of breaks and downtime. We do not need to pack the agenda from morning, noon, and night with stuff. Like give people time, half an hour, hour, whatever it may be to go be on their own and think and process and digest and take care of themselves. Not only is that a good way to be more inclusive, but it's also an important way to ensure that you know, they're processing and adjusting material and it sticks with them and and they have time to sort of let it sink in. It's healthy and good for many reasons. So breaks are good. Breaks are important. And please add more breaks in than you think that you need. Yes. Yes. You heard it here first, folks. Add more breaks. (laughs) We need more breaks. This is true for everybody. So introvert, extrovert, and everybody. Thank you. You have given so many incredible, practical, actionable things that people can sort of latch onto and use, I think, going into 2023 and thinking about offsites, onsites, whatever you want to call them, their gatherings. Whether it's something you shared already or, or something new, if there's sort of one thing that people could get right during their gathering, what should it be? Oh, can I share two? <laughs> yes, yes, two things. Two things. So one, start with the effect that you want, not the information that you want to share. So get crystal clear on 
what will be different because of our time together and how will we know um, and what's the effect that we want to create. So that's my business, the gathering effect. These gatherings can create different effects. Get crystal clear on what effect you want to create and why it matters for you, your organization, and your business. So that's one. And then secondly is to focus much more on integration than just information sharing. So we've learned to leverage asynchronous communication perhaps more than we ever have before because of the pandemic. And if you're spending your time just pushing information on people, department updates, sitting in a room and listening to information, we're not making good use of our time. What is a good use of our time together, connecting as, as people in person, is integrating that material, talking about what it means for us, how we'll use it, where we're challenged by it, and how it affects our work and makes us better. So I think just a couple of small mindset shifts <laughs> that we can hopefully learn to put into practice will make these offsites not just more efficient, but much more effective. Small but mighty. They are small but mighty, for sure. So... Oh, Lindsay, thank you. I cannot express to you just how information-packed this is, and that makes my heart happy because I always want people to know more so they can do different or do better. I also know that there are people coming away from this episode going, holy crap, we have so much more to think about than I even realized, and I need help. So talk to me a little bit about how people can work with you and what the best way to sort of stay in touch with you is. Yeah, if people are walking away from this podcast being like, holy crap, there's so much to do. It's not necessarily the feeling that I want to create, but I want you to know that there's someone, not just me, but lots of folks who can help you make the best use of this time. And you can reach out to me at gatheringeffect.com, my website, and I can help you design and strategize and sometimes facilitate your gatherings so that they're more effective and just save you a lot of time and stress and hassle. That's really think the value add here. So that's what I would encourage folks to do if you want some support and be happy to chat. I love that. And yes, I don't want anyone to leave feeling overwhelmed. And I also know how overworked people ops teams are and that they care. They care about these things. So I know there are going to be people that are leaving going, well, now what? Because I know that this is important and I want to do it and I don't know how to get there. So that is why I wanted to make sure that they connected with you. I also know that in December, you are going to be doing some sort of problem solving pop-ups. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and how people can find those? Yeah, I love a good alliteration. Yeah, so I'm offering three different sort of one-hour pop-up sessions for small groups to dive deep on a specific challenge that I've heard over and over again when it comes not just to off-sites, but other gatherings. So you can find more information on my website, gatheringeffect.com slash pop-up to sign up for a one-hour session on either attendance or engagement or agendas. You'll meet some folks who are going through a similar challenge as you and walk away with some practical and effective solutions for your challenges. So I'd love to see you there. Oh, I love that. I will probably be in attendance. So you can find me there <laughs> as well. Awesome. All right. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. I am sure that people are going to just literally have better offsites and onsites and gatherings in 2023 because of this conversation. And that is for me a win. So thank you for joining us and look forward to having you on again in the future. Thanks so much for having me, Jill. I appreciate it. This show was brought to you by wanttoworkthere.com and the incredible team at Podcasting for Creatives. No individual or company acting alone can change our societal beliefs about work, but together we can create a new normal. If you like this episode, 
please consider passing it on to one or two people who share your passion for creating a better world of work. And until next time, please know I see you, I believe in you, and keep going. The work you're doing really matters.